The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today on Crawl Call, it's Halloween and critic Richard Sims is here to talk about the scariest television shows and movies of all time. Then, Halloween wouldn't be complete without a little talk about mummies and coffins. Kara Cooney is here to talk about her new book on Egyptology and her work of the last six years on coffins. Plus, what is Halloween without a little trick-or-treat? So today, I'm giving you a chance to call in and win some of my favorite snacks. Costumes are optional. That's coming up today on Crawl Call. Good evening. Welcome to Crawl Call. Blah. Okay, so baby accents are not my forte. Hopefully you won't hold that against me because I'm going to be giving out snacks later in the show. Don't worry, this isn't Stranger Danger. It's just me, Dan Kroll. I'm your host. It's Halloween. It's Kroll Call. I'm very happy to have you here with me this week. The neighborhood kids might not be so happy that I'm here with you because by doing this show and doing it live, it means I will not be at the front door handing out all sorts of candy. Actually, though, I'm still happy that everyone is here because it's been kind of a a scary week or so. There's been three things that have uh, various degrees of scariness that have happened in the past week or so. Let me give you some of the details. The first, it's very, very trivial, but I have a new phone. My phone of three million years, uh, probably we'll be talking about it in the segment about Egyptology. My phone was so old that I had to get a new one. I'm convinced that my provider was sending out signals to make it not work. So I had to get a new phone. It's a Samsung Galaxy S5, whatever that means. It's ginormous. It does all sorts of things that I didn't necessarily know that a phone could do or maybe even wanted it to do, but I don't know how to work it. So all of my texts and all of my tweets and all things are, words are changed and it's a very scary thing for me, but not nearly as scary as a cab ride that I had, but I I felt I had to share this with you. I don't want to say the name of the provider, but there's only a few, so you'll be able to figure it out on your own. But I took uh, one of these cab rides in Detroit to come back to Philadelphia, and there's an app where it shows you where you are, and it shows the approach of the car that's been dispatched to pick you up. So I watched the little icon move towards where I was. I saw it coming around the corner on my screen, so I looked, and sure enough, in real life, the car was coming around the corner. It stopped in front of me on the screen. The little car icon stopped in front of where I was standing. It was a car that they said was coming got into the car and took off for the airport in Detroit. As we're about five or so minutes into the ride, I get a phone call from an unlisted number, and then it calls back again, then it calls back again, calls back again. It's the cab driver of the car that was dispatched to pick me up. He's waiting for me, and I'm not in his car. So apparently, someone who was not the car that was dispatched to pick me up picked me up, and started driving me all around Detroit. They did take me to the airport. I got there quite quickly. And here's the thing that's a little strange. They didn't charge me 
So the car that was dispatched that had all of my information to charge me was waiting for me back somewhere in Detroit. And some stranger picked me up and took me to the airport, and I don't know who they are. So I'm very fortunate to be able to be here with you this week because who would have known that could have ended really badly? Nothing against Detroit, nothing against the car company that shall not be named, but it could have ended up on a totally different level, which brings me to the third and final scary thing that happened. My mummy was missing. Yes, my mom. We have this thing. I think I need to teach her some text etiquette. She's of, I guess, the generation that wasn't necessarily tech-savvy and all this stuff is new. My mom sends text messages for everything, from, hey, how are you, to happy birthday, to the one that I got the other day that said, hey, love you, going in for surgery tomorrow, bye. And that was it. And then I couldn't find her. I had no idea where she was. No one was answering their phones. Calls were going straight to voicemail. Couldn't track her down. So... As I'm traveling around trying to figure out where she is, you know, naturally I'm, I'm kind of worried. I'm kind of scared trying to figure out where she is. So eventually she did resurface, as you can imagine, with a text message. It said, hey, out of surgery, doing okay. Love you. See you soon. So that was the week in Kroll from kidnapped in cars to new cell phones to missing my mother or having her missing. Not entirely sure what it is. So hopefully this will go better because if you remember after the first week of Kroll Call, I sliced my finger open and ended up in the ER. Second show, my mom disappeared. I have no idea what's going to happen after week three, but we do have a great show for you this week. Kara Cooney will be along in a bit to talk about mummies and coffins, not in the way that you think. And later in the show, you can ring my digital doorbell. I have no idea what that means, but that's what we're saying. I'm going to be giving out some of my favorite snacks in a Kroll Call Trick or Treat giveaway. All you have to do is listen and then call in to win. But up first, prepare to be scared. It's the scariest movies of all time. That's coming up after the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey, soap fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than soapcentral.com. Every day, soapcentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
zombies, chainsaw massacres, ghosts, blood, and guts. These are some of the things that you'll find in a lot of spooky films that are released around Halloween. But what makes a good scary movie? Television and film critic... Okay, who am I kidding? He's critical of everything, but he's a friend of the show. He's making his first appearance here under the Kroll Call banner. Richard Sims, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. I'm about to be very critical of you if you keep that up. (laughs) You are, of course, as I say, a friend of the show. We will let people know why later on. We're not going to let them down. We're going to talk about what we do best. But the question everybody wants to know before that, what's your favorite trick-or-treat candy? If you could only get one kind of candy in your pumpkin so to speak, <laughs> what would it be? Well, as of tonight, it would be the stuff that's sitting in the kitchen and that I'm hoping I won't give away because I really like it. Um, we tried something new this year. It's um, Butterfinger has these, they're, they're square-shaped peanut butter cups with like a layer of the Butterfinger crunch. They are amazing. They're fantastic. I can't recommend them enough. So right now, those are pretty much it. Although I'm also a big fan of the Babe Ruth bar. Babe Ruth, what's in a, Babe Ruth, that's caramel and peanuts, what, what's a Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth is, it's like, it's like a, a nugget log, and then it's, it's like rolled in peanuts and caramel, and it is just delicious. I haven't had one in probably three years, I don't even know if they still make them, but boy, I, those used to be my favorites. When you got a Babe Ruth in your bag, you knew you were having a good night. I'm laughing because I'm thinking this is like an old Seinfeld skit where they did the George did the lineup of candy bars and challenged people to guess what they were. I, I got to tell you though, I don't, uh, I don't think that I would remember what a baby Ruth is. It's not on the top of my to buy list. I'm sorry. Well, you should pick one up because they're really good. Candy aside. It is Halloween. They have been running scary movies on certain cable channels nonstop, 24 hours a day since the beginning of the month. We're coming to the end. So I figured it would be the perfect time to talk about the scariest movies of all times. People have been weighing in, Richard, on the Kroll Call Facebook page, on the site. We'll talk about the ones that you've picked, but let's just get into the heart of the matter. I asked it in the opening, what makes a good scary movie? Because for a lot of people... If they don't like spiders and there are spiders in the movie, that's a scary movie. For other people, they want to be mind-messed with because that makes it scary. What's, in your opinion, what makes a good scary movie? Well, and that's exactly it. Horror is very subjective. Um, I remember when Poltergeist came out, you know, what, 25 Mm -hmm. years ago. Uh, the advertising slogan that they used for Poltergeist was, it knows what scares you. And... To me, that makes a good horror movie. Is a movie that touches you, <laughs> touches you in your scary spot, and sort of, <laughs> you know, it, it can be different for everyone. For example, a lot of people really love what I call sort of um, torture porn. You know, movies like Hostel and things like that, where it's basically people wander into a bad situation and then the whole movie is them being tortured. I'm not really into that. That, I mean, I've watched some of it. You know, yes, I've seen all of the Human Centipede movies. um, But it's not, they're not really my thing. For me, what makes a good horror movie is it has to have a human touch. In other words, I'm actually more afraid, not so much of monsters or, you know, Jason or Freddy Krueger or anything like that, but I'm more afraid of the, the, the human aspect of horror. So for me, like one of the scariest movies out there is The Strangers. 
because it's it's about two people who are in a remote cabin. You know, they're it's they're, they're married. They're having a little bit of trouble in their marriage, and all of a sudden, people begin harassing them. Children begin knocking on their windows and running away, uh, and it, and it eventually turns into this just horrific night of 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 terror. And what makes that so scary to me is that it feels real. And it is, in fact, based, at least in part, on a true story. I also think a lot of people, when they're looking at horror movies, when you ask people what's the scariest movie of all time, I will bet that on the list of movies that you came up with or that that you got responses on, I would bet The Exorcist is either at the top of that list or very close to that top of that list. Am I right? It absolutely, it's tied with one other one that we'll talk about that surprised me. But yes, The Exorcist is at the top of the list. And I have to say, for me, the reason that The Exorcist always makes that list and the reason that it became an iconic movie is not because, you know, Linda Blair's head turns around and she spits pea soup and all that. It's that at heart, this is a really... Um, this is a really traumatic story about a mother and her daughter and, the, and how far the mother will go to help her daughter. Because if you remember, in the movie, uh, the mother does, is not a religious woman. She doesn't really believe in God. And, and she has to put all of that aside and actually seek out the help of the church and bring somebody in. And, you know, it's just like all these things that this mother does. Yes, it then becomes terrifying when this little girl is possessed with, by the devil. But if we didn't care about these people, it wouldn't be so scary. The big mistake that a lot of modern horror movies make is they make all of the characters really obnoxious, and you don't care about them. So when bad things start happening to them, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, I'm glad they're dead. If you make the characters, you know, it's sort of like daytime. If you make the characters someone that we're invested in, then when bad things start happening to them, we are afraid for them because we relate to them. We are talking with Richard Sims, the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine. He's a television film critic. He's a Disney nut. We think that when we're talking about these, Richard, one of the things that I always think about that makes it scary is something that is possible. You know, a lot of the things in some of the horror movies, you know that there's an element of of fiction and fantasy that could never happen some of the things like The Exorcist and the movie that got, surprisingly, the most number of votes as the scariest movie of all time are things that could happen to anyone. That movie that came in number one with The Exorcist is Jaws. That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, again, if you think about Jaws, Jaws is one of those movies that plays on a really common fear. You know, you, you, you love going in the water, you love swimming, and yet, you know, when you're in the ocean, anything can be in there. You're, you're in this beautiful body of water, but who knows what lurks beneath the surface, and that's terrifying. I remember the summer of Jaws. Um, I was a kid, and, and I remember, I mean, we, would, we, we used to swim in uh, Darlington Lake in, in uh, Pennsylvania, and it was a man-made lake, and people were afraid of sharks, you know, because that was the <laughs> summer of fear. Like, every beach, whether it was man-made or not, you know, you could be in your swimming pool in your backyard, and you'd be thinking about sharks. It, 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 and again, it's just, it's this, the thing about that was, the shark was sort of this indiscriminate machine. It just, it didn't care. It didn't care if you were a good person, a bad person, a, you know, fat person, a thin person, race, color, creed, whatever. It just wanted to eat you. And, and, it, and the other thing that that movie did so, so well is it didn't show you the, 
quote-unquote monster until quite deep into the movie. You know, um, that's, that's a really cool trick you, that a lot of movies do is avoid showing you the monster because the unseen is almost as scary as the scene. Once you've seen it, you face your worst fear. But that, that fear beforehand, before you've actually seen what this thing looks like, that's, that can be very terrifying. That leads me to one of the movies that I thought was the scariest or possibly maybe the most disturbing. It's one that no one else in our Crow Call polls even mentioned, but it was the first Saw movie. Uh, they may have tarnished its reputation, like most movies do, by doing sequels and sequel and sequel and sequel. But I think the thing that was most interesting with that is that if people had just done what they were supposed to do, like in so many things in life, a lot of the bad things wouldn't have happened to them, but it played into the sense of self-preservation, into pride. Now we're talking about, sounds like seven, but a lot of the, the things that we're told that we should not buy into, people did, and it didn't end well for them in Saw. You probably completely disagree with me, but you're the critic. I'm just... Not so. What do you, you know, think of all, Saw? All a critic is is someone who watches something and has opinions about it. That's all. And somebody asks them their opinions. That's all a critic is. You know. I mean, really, everyone is a critic. But no, I actually agree. I think Saw. And you know, what's interesting is if you follow the whole whole Saw series. Um, you know, there's some bad ones. There's some good ones. And the last one, or at least the the, the latest one, I should say, because it's never really the last one actually did a pretty good job of tying things all the way back to the beginning. But you're right. One of the things that terrified me about Saw, and it's a lot like another movie that I consider very scary, The Purge. And Mm. the reason that those kind of movies scare me is they sort of rely on, well, for example, in Saw, in order for you to stay alive, you have to hope that the person you're there with is basically going to not kill you to, 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 in, their, in the name of their own self-preservation. In The Purge, um, it's basically a story of, you know, one night a year, in order to keep the crime rate low and in order to uh, let um, America get out their, their aggression and their angst, one night a year for 12 hours, I believe it is, Basically, every crime is legal. You can go out and do anything you want for 12 hours. And, you know, most people choose to hunker down, but, like, a lot of people say, oh, I want to go kill my boss, or I hate this person, and you can do it. It's completely legal. And, again, that's one of the things that's very scary to me because um, I, I just feel like we live in a world where, where anything can happen to you. You know, we, we have... We have the stories last year of people walking down the street and kids would be playing that, I don't remember what the name of it was, like the punching game or whatever, where they would just run up to mm-hmm. random strangers, punch them as hard as they could. That, to me, is like the early stages of the purge, is just a society run rampant. And to me, and maybe it's because I'm 50 years old now and the world scares me, <laughs> but it, 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 that's terrifying to me. Well, let's talk about a classic. I'm watching, we're almost out of time for this segment, but I want to go to things that are held up as a standard of classic suspense slash horror slash scary movies, something like Psycho. Does that still hold up in an era when you have people playing the punching game and you have the concept of the purge? Does Psycho still manage to come across as being scary? It definitely does. Uh, in fact, that that whole sort of genre of psychological horror is is 
just as effective. One of the most effective um, Alfred Hitchcock movies of all time, and it still really holds up beautifully today, is The Birds. Uh, you know, just the idea that we live in a world where all of a sudden nature is going to turn on us. Now, there have been modern attempts to make that, remake that. Um, M. Night, I never can pronounce his last name. I always call him M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong. Uh, he, he made a movie a couple years ago that everybody except me hated. And it was, bas- it was called The Happening. And it was basically a story about the Earth saying, uh-uh, you have screwed with us long enough. I'm going to, I'm going to basically start killing humans, and the Earth was basically killing us. Uh, and that's sort of what the birds was. For no good reason, you know, this, 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 this part of nature that is everywhere around us turned on us. And they were basically, you know, the birds were... It, it's a terrifying movie that holds up beautifully to this day. And Psycho's the same thing. But if you're going to watch Psycho, watch the original. I don't really get the point of the shot-by-shot remake that they did uh, with Anne Heche, you know, a decade or so ago. I'm, I'm not necessarily... There are some remakes of classic horror movies that are decent, but for me, I'm always going to go back to the original. I think, you know, if it's a, cla- it's a classic for a reason. So go back to that one. You are going back to the screen yourself. You are involved in a new film that will be coming out. It's kind of Halloween-y suited, at least in theory. What is this movie that you're part of? When can we see it, and why aren't we watching it right now? Well, we're not watching it right now because we're still working on it. Uh, We still have a lot of editing to do. The movie's called Zombie Farm. It's um, we. This is our second quote-unquote movie. The first one is called Shark to Pranipus and can be found on YouTube. We have a YouTube <laughs> channel. Shark to Pranipus was thrown together in like two or three days. Zombie Farm is, you know, really kind of a big effort. We've spent like probably the last six or seven months editing and filming and, you know, bought costumes and uh, bought, you know, uh, high-end Hollywood makeup and stuff. And, but it's really, in the end, it's just the kind of thing, the reason that I'm really proud of it is that it's something that we're doing as a family. My household and our extended families and everybody's gotten involved, grandparents and little kids, and, and it's just been a blast. And when it's done, it will be on uh, YouTube or someplace like that, and we will definitely make sure that uh, there's a link on com so that people can find it. Well, we are still awaiting Kara Cooney to call in. What we're going to do is we're going to take a commercial break. If she's with us, we're going to talk mummies and fun things. If not, Richard, we're going to keep talking. So stay tuned, everybody, because Kroll Call will be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, soap fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews, or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. 
Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Halloween without a discussion of mummies and coffins, but these aren't the spooky type. These are the kind that give us a look back in time. Dr. Karakuni is a professor of Egyptian art and architecture at UCLA. She is a PhD in Egyptology from Johns Hopkins University, and she's the author of the new book, The Woman Who Would Be King, Hatshepsut's Rise to Power in Ancient Egypt. And did I mention she has studied coffins? I can't wait to talk more about this. Kara, welcome to Crow Call. Hey, thanks for having me. I want to get into talking about the book, but I figure we need to sort of start off with something Halloween-related. We know that mummification was a practice in ancient Egypt. I'm wondering, based on everything that you know, when did we go from this being something that was practical to something that became fodder for all of our horror stories and things of being spooky mummies? Well, the ancient Egyptians had ghost stories, too. And the time period that I study, the 21st dynasty, there's a, there's a wonderful ghost story that talks about a man whose coffins were taken from him because it was a time of crisis and no one had enough stuff to go around and people were all robbing tombs. And this guy haunts, this dead guy, haunts the high priest of Amun and, and causes such fright and such a stir that this high priest of Amun decides to, to purchase coffins for this dead man so that his mummy has a place to dwell so that he won't be haunted any longer. So I don't think that this is new to Western culture. I think the ancient Egyptians feared hauntings as well. What about the curse aspect of it? We certainly hear that there are Egyptian tombs that have curses and should not be entered. What do you make of all of that? Well, there's, there's a kernel of truth to that as well, because if you look at some ancient Egyptian tombs, there's inscriptions, there can be inscriptions on a tomb that say things like, if you harm my tomb, then may a crocodile eat you, may you drown in the Nile, may some horrible thing happen to you. There, there, the ancient Egyptian funerary literature is based on keeping danger at bay and avoiding a second death, and curses might go along with that. And if you believe that your survival in the next life depended on what kind of a coffin you had, what kind of transformation you had in that coffin, whether or not people were bringing you beer and food and things, and whether or not you had a home, whether or not you had a tomb, and you believed that that materiality helped protect you, you would do everything possible to protect somebody taking that materiality after you were dead and unable to do anything about it. So curses are, are part of the ancient Egyptian thing. Not every ancient Egyptian tomb had curses inscribed on them, but many, many did. So for a lot of people who are listening, they know names like Tut and Cleopatra and Nefertiti. What was it for you that you found so intriguing about Hatshepsut? Well, Hatshepsut's forgotten. So say, you know, let's all go out to a bus stop on a corner and ask somebody, do you know about Cleopatra? Oh, yeah, sure. I know all about her. And she committed suicide. And it was she's like sexy lady or whatever people might say. And oh, do you know about Jezebel? Oh, yeah, I know all about her. She she was some sort of whore. Can I say that on the radio or podcast? Sure. I did. But, Absolutely. Um, thank you. And, and, and Hatshepsut, by contrast, is somebody whose name we can barely pronounce. 
And if you said that to some male or female on the corner, they'd be like, wait, who? What, what are you talking about? And she's not something that is a part of our cultural context. We don't tell stories about her. And that interested me, interested me right away because I think that we tell stories about women who were failures politically, and we like to replicate those stories and aggrandize those stories and write plays about those women. And we don't write stories about the, the women who got it all right. And Hot Shepsut is that, is that resource for us. So I, I wanted to resurrect her. We are talking to Kara Cooney, whose new book, The Woman Who Would Be King, is out now. When you're doing a biography, when you're doing a story, particularly nowadays, you can Google just about anything you want. You can go door to door and ask people for information. How does one go about writing a biography of someone who lived, what is it, about 3,500 years ago? Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard, and I can't tell you how hard it is because you're dealing with not only the dribs and drabs of information that survive up to this day, but you're also dealing with loaded and idealizing information. You're dealing with, you're working with information that they want you to know and nothing else. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open about my agenda while writing this book. I wanted to get to this woman's decision-making process. I wanted to get to the kernel of what it was like to be this badass ruler against all odds, climbing the pinnacle of power and, and taking over when, when really everything, was, everything in the system was set up against it. And to do that, I really did engage in a great deal of conjecture and storytelling, which breaks all the rules of my Egyptological training. And I say that <laughs> flat out. I'm going to break the rules of, of research. I'm going to break the rules of, of academic scholarship. And I'm going, to, I'm going to show you when I'm doing it, but I'm going to write a story from cradle to grave and if I find Hatshepsut in a particular point in time, dealing with a particular set of circumstances, I'm going to try to imagine what she went through and what decisions were before her. And knowing what she did end up choosing, I'm going to try to inject emotions into that or strategy or, or whatever, she, whatever systems or people she was dealing with at the time. And so that's how I faced this book. I wanted it to be a, a, a real human story, which is so hard for the ancient world because, you know, we only have these, these cold stones and this information they chose to leave, which is, is so very perfected. And I wanted to get to the real woman. You mentioned breaking the rules. There may be some folks who are listening saying she's broken another one. We were talking about a woman who would be king. Everyone knows male rulers are kings, female rulers are queens, but that's not the case in this situation, is it? No, it's not. And, you know, I get more comments on this on my Facebook feed and other places than anything else. People, people get really upset. They're like, why are you calling her a king? What is up with this? And it's not like I'm trying to be gender bending for pro provocation's sake. She needs to be called a king because that's what she called herself. And in ancient Egyptian, the word queen really only refers to the wife of the king, almost the woman of the king. It has a sexual connotation and it is only, it has no political power in and of itself. So when Hatshepsut was crowned and achieved the highest rank that she possibly could, she changed her title to king. And so that's what she needs to be called. It doesn't quite work in English because the word queen has a political connotation. But when you're working with the ancient Egyptian and then in translation into English, it's absolutely necessary. That's what she was. And that's why she ended up engaging in the cross-dressing, at least according to her release in her statuary, that she did in her later life, wearing the false beard, going around topless, maybe binding her breast, but showing herself as a man because she felt at some point in her reign she needed to occupy that role bodily as well as in spirit. When we think back and we think of times that are not modern, we probably have a tendency to think that 
women were maybe second-class citizens or they were considered property. How was it then that all these years ago that a woman was able to come to power and rule the land? Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing because everything is set up against it. And even today, let's, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, everything's set up against women in power. If you look at ideological power, economic power in this country, political power, there, you know, we've never had a female president. CEOs in this country are only at 4%, 4% out of all Fortune 500 companies. Ideological power, you can forget it. I mean, the male, males run the show for the, for the most part in, in today's religions. So what we're dealing with is very much what the ancient people dealt with, but on steroids. And in the ancient world, though, in a place like Egypt in particular, where people valued continuity and they valued dynastic succession, they would allow a woman to step in as a placeholder, as a stopgap, as a, a measure to protect a ruler who was too young or too infirm or too immature, wait for him to grow up or wait for another male ruler to be able to step in, to save a dynasty, to keep the status quo. Now, there are many other places in the ancient world where something like that just wouldn't, the system would not have allowed it. Ancient Greece, most of the ancient Near East, these are places where competition is so much fiercer among a wider and broader variety of society that a woman had very little chance of stepping into such a high position of power. But in Egypt, we see this pattern repeating itself again and again because its system demands it. It needs that status quo and that continuity. Hatshepsut knew that. And she took on more power than any other woman previously and arguably any other woman until we get to women like Elizabeth I or Catherine the Great. So even though Hatshepsut may have started off as sort of the stopgap or for continuity purposes, was she successful? Oh, my God. If you look at Cleopatra and you think, did she leave Egypt better than she found it? The answer is no. If you look at Hatshepsut, did she leave Egypt better than she found it? This is not a province of any empire. It's not destitute and broke. There's native rule. Hatshepsut ended up being a mother to her dynasty and saving the rule for her father's dynasty, her half-brother and husband's dynasty, and for her nephew. And she raised him to be the, the best king that Egypt had seen in decades and the king that expanded Egypt's empire beyond anything it had ever seen before. So you could really argue that, that Hatshepsut was the, the most successful female ruler the ancient world had ever seen. And that's why it's all the more extraordinary to me that people don't know how to pronounce her name and don't know, even know who she is. But if she was so successful, you write in The Woman Who Would Be King that a lot of her pharaonic records were destroyed. If she was so successful, why would a civilization then go and try to erase records of someone who, I guess, was doing a pretty good job? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point, and I think that has to do with things about our humanity, our ambivalence towards females in power, things that we, we can't even verbalize, that, that we have hostility towards women in power, or it doesn't fit the system. Hatshepsut had to be erased for a number of reasons, and you could say, okay, it was because she's a woman and she doesn't fit the system. When you get down to the, the, hard, the hard details of it all, she had to be erased to allow the succession of Tutmosis III, III, her nephew, his son, she caused problems for, for this young child's own succession, maybe because her bloodline was so impeccable and impure on both sides, and this young child didn't have a pure bloodline on, on both sides at all, maybe because there were other family members trying to step in. But her success, and her success as a female, maybe even allowed some family members to think, oh, we could try it again. 
we have a we have a female here who's acting as God's wife of Amun. Maybe Neferue. Maybe people were thinking Hatshepsut's own daughter could come in, step in, and take some political power in her own right. We don't know the details. They're veiled. But Hatshepsut's success was arguably too successful so that it had to be erased. And then think of it this way. The fact that she was so successful that she did everything right means that if you're, go- if you're standing in front of a temple release and you're like, oh, my God, we have to, you know, are we going to erase this whole thing? No, 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 just erase the name and then put in her father's name or put in her brother's name, put in somebody else's name. We can take credit for this. I want to take credit for this. And that pattern then repeated itself again and again. When a female ruler in history is not successful, like a Jezebel or even a Cleopatra, then we we put that up on a pedestal and tell that story again and again, and it becomes a different kind of replication of history. Hatshepsut's success was, was taken over by others who were more than happy to take credit for all of the amazing things that she had done. Do we still do that in 2014, do you think? I think we do. I think that it's, you know, our systems of power are so much more competitive and diffuse and, and broadly written as opposed to this dynastic linear succession of God kings, right? So it's a very, very different system. But I think that if you look around the world today and you look at how people talk about women in power and how they focus on hairstyles and jewelry, and God forbid we talk about a female's lovers. You know, you could talk about the mistresses of a male ruler, and, you know, it can go, it can be character damaging, but other people are like, oh, you know, boys will be boys, it's fine. Imagine if Hillary Clinton comes out with a lover. <laughs> what would people do? But if a, a male president of that age, and it came out that he had a lover, well, I think a lot of people would be nonplussed. So I, I think that our attention for females in power is often um, directed towards a feeling that she's in it for her own selfish, greedy ambition. And I think a lot of that is biologically driven. I don't, I don't think we even realize that we, that we have these notions about what female power is and what male power is or what a female agenda might be versus a male agenda. But when you look at things cognitively, the way the human brain works, male or female, or you look at things evolutionarily, the way a female protects herself versus a male, a female's interests usually are her close inner family circle. And a male's interests are further afield making these political connections. And I think we automatically assign those those physical or cognitive agendas to females in power today, even though I do think we can transcend them. Does that there make are, sense? I know that was a complicated no, answer. And I'm no, that's absolutely. I think that sometimes the complicated answers are the ones that are truthful and the ones that probably people can understand yeah, the most. Yeah, I'm an, anti, I'm an anti-Occam's razor girl, especially for anthropology and human beings, because, oh my God, we're so messy and complicated. And the simplest answer is usually not the way people don't do things in simple fashions. They make mistakes, they mess things up, they figure things out, they are ruled by systems they don't even know it. And I would rather look at, as a feminist myself, I would rather see the system that I'm in in truth and then try to transcend it from there. And, you know, I teach a class at UCLA called Women in Power in the Ancient World. And the first two weeks are all about, you know, what's the biological resource or sources for this? What are the cognitive sources? How do we deal with this? And there's usually a lot of anger in this class directed at me by female students. And I'm like, look, do you want me to tell you what I think the truth is? I'm not going to lie to you and say, look, there were powerful women in the ancient world because there weren't. They're shut out of power consistently, systematically, let's call a spade a spade, figure out why this is, and then see if we can do something about it. 
Kara Cooney's new book is called The Woman Who Would Be King, Hatshepsut's Rise to Power in Ancient Egypt. It's available in hardcover, in Kindle formats, and as an audiobook. So you can take it with you and listen anywhere that you want, if that's more your thing. You can also follow her on Twitter at Kara Cooney and like her Facebook page. We've got all the links for all that information on our Twitter feed at Kroll Call Show. Kara, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of Halloween to be here with us. Hey, and think of me trick-or-treating in about two hours. I'm out there. Look for the mummies and look for, for all sorts of other fun things. We have to take a quick I break. I will, I will. But we'll be back with more of Crow Call after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, soap fans. Are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews, or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. Our Halloween spooktacular here on Kroll Call. You can't bring Richard Sims and I together without talking at least a little bit about soaps. That would be truly scary. So I've brought him back to first talk about some of the scariest television moments, some of the scariest books. And maybe even dish a little November sweep soapiness. Richard, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I so, have to say, that last guest was incredible. I can't wait to get her book. I was really intrigued by that. You know, I liked it too. And I, th- I think that uh, the problem that a lot of people may have thought of and is, you know, is this such a serious topic or, or can someone understand that there's a, a way to segue it into a Halloween show? And I mean, being able to know that there were. Halloweeny ghost stories and stuff going all the way back to ancient Egypt is actually kind of fascinating. It makes me feel better about our talking about scary movies. I agree. I I agree. It was a great segue. We've talked about scary movies. We've talked about ghosts and goblins and coffins and mummies and things of that nature. Now let's talk about something that's maybe a little more accessible and scary television shows for a lot of people the first thing that would come to mind i guess more recently is american horror story do we think that american horror story is the scariest television series in history richard no i don't actually um i i i think it's 
a bizarre thing to say the scariest thing in TV history because you have to remember that while American Horror Story, The Walking Dead, shows like that are very scary, we live in a different world now than we did in, you know, like the 50s and 60s. And so, you know, back then when they had shows like The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits and Thriller, those were terrifying shows to a lot of people because they didn't have the experience that we have with television, you know? So, so they were fascinated by the things they were, they were fascinated and often very scared by the things that they were seeing on their TV because it was so different. You know, we look at the walking dead now and because we've had years of zombie movies and, you know, the night of the living dead and, and world war Z and everything else, it's a really, really well done horror TV show. What I think is interesting is that modern horror television has to be a little bit more than just horror. Like, if you look at uh, The Walking Dead, for example, yeah, it's got gore galore, and it's got, you know, lots of scary zombies and stuff, but it's also telling a really human story. These are, these are characters we invest in, we care about them week after week, uh, and that's a big part of the story. Uh, American Horror Story is probably one of the most original horror offerings we've gotten on television just because of this this kind of cool concept of every year you're going to get, you know, in large part the same cast, but they're going to be playing different characters in a completely different setting. I think that is so much fun, although they are about to break one of their own, I don't know if you call it a rule or not, but it was just announced earlier this week that uh, Lily Robb, uh, who was so fantastic as Sister Mary Eunice in, in American Horror Story uh, Asylum two seasons ago, is coming on American Horror Story uh, Freak Show. Now, that's not unusual because a lot of the characters are, or a lot of the actors are the same. But she's actually going to be playing the same character she played two seasons ago on Asylum. She's going to be playing Sister Mary Eunice, so who, if you remember, was possessed by the devil. So well, Pepper was that, on that season, too. Yeah, I, and I did not realize that it was Pepper. I mean, I knew it was the same actress. I did not realize that Pepper was playing Pepper. Um, it, Charlie and I were having an interesting conversation today about the difference, about how sometimes with, with shows like American Horror Story, there's this weird... It's hard to know what you know because you saw it on screen and what you know because you read a story about it. Like, I know that Pepper is Pepper because I read about it. But I don't remember ever on the show them really necessarily telling me that that was Pepper. I, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Well, let uh, me... Yeah, something else that scares me is the thought of no food. It's uh, not having snacks or something like that makes me very scary. So I would like to do our giveaway for those of you who are listening. Caller at 13 sounds like a good spooky number. Caller 13 to 866-472-5788. Say trick, crawl, treat. Don't ask. We just go with the flow. (laughs) We'll win a brownie brittle goodie bag for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm usually not that far from my bag of snacks or some sort of goodies, and I happen to enjoy brownie brittle because it doesn't have a whole lot of calories and there's none of the preservatives and nastiness and all that other stuff. I enjoy it. So if you call in, 866-472-5788, caller number 13 is going to win, I would say, a month's supply 
unless you wow. eat it like me, in which case maybe it'll just be a day or two. But, <laughs> but let's get back to talking about that. And, you know, actually, let me give some other good news for them, Richard. If for some reason you aren't our lucky caller, if you text Brownie Brittle, either as one word or two, to 98019, we're going to give you a dollar off coupon that you can use in the store or you don't like going out of your house because you're afraid of the purge or something like that, <laughs> go to browniebrittle.com, use the code CROLLCALL, all one word, and you'll get 30% off of your online order. That's our little Halloween trickery snack goodness, and we'll have all that information on our Twitter feed. But going back to things that are scary in the world of television, Richard, I have to tell you that soap fans will riot if we don't at least briefly talk about something soap-related. You, of course, being the executive editor of Soaps In-Depth magazine. Me, of course, being the person behind the curtain at SoapCentral.com. Anything scary that's coming up in the world of soaps in November sweeps? Well, if you watched today's General Hospital... uh, the the scariest thing on daytime television right now has got to be uh, Nina uh, on on General Hospital. Michelle Stafford is rocking the house. She is doing such amazing work. As is Maura West, who today her role largely involved making her eyes as wide as possible and being terrified. And I have to imagine it wasn't that difficult because. Michelle Stafford is just, she's mesmerizing and giving this terrifying, terrifying performance. And this story is going to get crazy over the next couple of weeks um, because, you know, uh, on next week, Nina, you know, Ava, Ava get, has the baby. And the question becomes, what happens next? And at the same time, don't forget that we've got this craziness going on over at the wedding where, you know, Franco basically is about to destroy Carly's life. And in the process, he's also really going to turn Michael's kind of world upside down. So there's lots of crazy, crazy, craziness going on there. I think the other scariest thing in daytime right now is probably the Bold and the Beautiful's Quinn. She terrifies me. Rena Silver is doing such a good job of playing uh, this, this woman who will do absolutely anything. You know, she's sort of – we always said that Stephanie Forrester – was a controlling mom and that she would manipulate people and do whatever she had to to sort of keep her family in line. Quinn is Stephanie on crack. You know, Quinn <laughs> is, I mean, she's pushing people off bridges and flying to Paris. And she took, a, she made a life-size version of the Spencer sword that they, the, the sword necklace that they wear and tried to stab Liam with it. So yeah, she's kind of a nut job. What is it as we're, Whittling down here on our time, what is it that keeps people going back to scary movies? We know why folks watch soaps day after day. It's a continuing story. We get attached to characters. You know, they become sort of a second family. But what is it that keeps people going back to the scary well? Why do we keep putting ourselves through scary movies and scary television shows and scary books? Honestly, because we're gluttons for punishment, you know. I mean, <laughs> okay. we 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 do. We we. It's the same thing that makes us want to ride roller coasters or go on haunted houses, or you know, there are different levels. For some people, they want to be daredevils and they want to you know jump out of planes and you know do all that kind of stuff. Um, a scary movie is kind of this awesome way of 
letting yourself be absolutely terrified despite the fact that you are 100% safe. You know, I mean, when, when you watch a scary movie, especially like if you're at home watching a scary movie, you tend to get up and you check all the doors, check all the windows, and then you sit back down. It's not like there's any greater chance that someone is lurking outside now than there was when you were watching Grey's Anatomy two hours ago, but there's just, it clicks into your brain. It taps in there and it's, it's just, it's, it's a rush, you know, and you just sit there and you just enjoy the ride. It's just, it's fun. Um, and by the way, if I could just, one thing I wanted to say is if, if you're looking for probably what I think is the scariest episode of anything that's ever aired on television, and it's a standalone, so you don't have to watch a whole series to see it, um, the X-Files did an episode called The Peacocks, and it was absolutely terrifying. I don't want to tell you what it's about. I believe The X-Files is on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Seek out that episode, because it's a great episode for Halloween. It's standalone, so you don't have to, like, you know, know the mythology of the X-Files or anything, and it's just creepy and weird and terrifying. I have to tell you, you mentioned Grey's Anatomy in there. A lot of the medical dramas scare me, which is quite amazing, considering that I wanted to be a doctor for almost all of my life. But, you know, you, you see unnamed diseases, we won't say them to freak anyone out, but you know, people who don't wash their hands, people who do all sorts of weird things, and they end up in all sorts of crazy places, and then they end up certainly in the hospital. So those sort of things scare me more than any vampire slasher film or television well, show. in that case, I would recommend for your Halloween movie, the really fantastic movie, I believe it was called Contagion from a few years ago. <laughs> it was... I, I'm not even kidding. It, it, it really is a terrifying movie because um, it's it's basically how a disease spreads. And it starts with, you know, like one person being sick and then Gwyneth Paltrow dies. Spoiler alert, but it happens in like the first 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, and, uh, and, it, and then it traces as the disease is spreading rapidly. We eventually, by, at the very end of the movie, we trace it back to how and where it started. And it's, it's really just a, a terrifying example. You know, look at how crazy quick these things can spread. So given what's going on in the world these days, I, I have to say that that would make a great Halloween movie. Well, the only good thing about this show, other than some amazingly great guests, is that we've all made it through the end and we're still alive. Richard, I want to thank you so much for dropping by for the first time on Crawl Call, but for you know the billionth time overall under this whole umbrella of <laughs> my craziness. Thanks for having me. I uh, always enjoy it, and you guys know where to find me. I'm on How Rude Are You, Facebook, SoapsInDepth.com. Pretty much anywhere you look, you'll find me. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week to Crawl Call. A special thanks to my guest, Richard Sims, Kara Cooney. If you'd like more information about Kara's book, or if you want to check out some of our top 10 scariest lists that we talked about today, follow us on Twitter at Crawl Call Show, or visit the website at crawlcall.com. We also have a show archive on the website where you can listen to the show on demand. So if you miss a live show or you want to hear it again, just visit crawlcall.com. If you're looking for something extra scary, follow me on Twitter at Dan J. Kroll. Next week, though, it's something entirely different. We'll be taking your calls for advice on love, dating, romance, sex, all of those matters of the heart. That's Friday, November 7th. It's November already. November 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I have to go shake down some neighbors to see if I can still get some Halloween candy or if it's too late, but I'll be back here next week on Kroll Call. 